Hey, Happy New Year to you. We got snowed out uh, last week, and uh, that was a major disappointment, bummer. Pretty much the worst thing ever so far this year. But here we are back, so it's uh, great to see you. Happy 2010, or what do we call it, 2010, 2010? What's the, what's the, okay, just 10. I feel like we're like in, you know, the senior class in high school again, doing the, you know, the class year cheers. Uh, seriously, man, it, it's, um, this is going to be, um, it's going to be an amazing year. And uh, some of you guys saw the video that I put out last Wednesday. And if you haven't, you can uh, check it out at NBC.com. Um, uh, but just kidding, CBS, of course. Um, but I, I had a, just an amazing encounter with God on uh, January 1st this year. Um, I was in the center of Lake Geneva, frozen, and um, a little bit dangerous probably. Uh, but Wisconsin's dangerous, right, Chris, in general? That's right. And... Uh, that's what my mom always said anyway. And, and I'm just, I'm in the middle of this frozen lake and, uh, and I'll just re-describe it to you briefly. Last year was marked by God's grace on this community, man. He graced us so much in the, the, all the new stuff that we participated in, the transition of planting two churches. And I guess I just had the sense that his grace would, like it runs out. Like it's only this, this tank that is, can only get so filled and then eventually it's gone. Eventually it's empty. And as I sat in the middle of this frozen tundra in Wisconsin, literally about negative five out, I just had this assuring sense that like his grace doesn't end. And so I sat there believing that 2010 for us as a community, as we continue to love the city, as we continue to journey, is going to be a phenomenal year. And so I'm very excited and I'm very excited about tonight. And we're going to begin with uh, this first slide here. Put this up. You've already heard Jeremy, uh, Jeremy talk about this. And this is a this is a phrase or a statement that is um, that has become very uh, we just use it a lot. God is sovereign. It kind of rolls off the tongue. You know, very difficult to spell. By the way, uh, I had to spell the last few days, but 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 we just we just throw this out all the time. And different of us, if you were to ask us, so what does it mean to say God is sovereign? What does that mean? All of us would give all of these different answers tonight. I want to get us on the same page. Are you with me? And I feel like God has, has given me a very distinct picture that I need to share with you. Next slide. Uh, this is planet Earth. Um, I hope this isn't uh, a statement that you're aware of. But in the case that you were, we're a, an equal opportunity church here. So this is, uh, this is planet Earth. All right. And, um, and next slide. This little tiny of the, of the globe there is this little town just south of Chicago called Moments, Illinois. Now, Moments, Illinois, grew up about 2,000 folks, a very small town. It's, uh, it's marked by this thing called the Gladiola Festival. Where every year, everyone comes. And you guys know, it's this really cool flower that has like eight buds. And if you're a guy in here, like it's a rare flower. So, you know, um, I, we also like to give out dating advice sometimes. You may want to hook that up. Next, next slide. Um, many of you guys have, have heard me talk about my grandfather. My grandfather's Illinois, and uh, he was born September 16th of 1923, and he passed away January 14th of 1998 when I was 18 years old. My grandfather lived in a very small town. He was a sergeant in the Army, a World War II vet in France. You guys have heard me talk about he, He's a stallion, just a complete stud. He raised all my family in Christ. I was thinking about all of this in reference to this 
little town in Illinois. My grandfather, who lived 74 years, and how God like had a massive plan for his life. And how God's plan for my grandpa's life will affect generation after generation after generation. And then I did something else. Have you ever have you ever been interested in how many people are living right now on the world? Have you ever done that? Maybe you've had to do that for class. That doesn't interest any of the rest of you? Well, I do as a history teacher or something. Listen to this. 6.7 billion people live on the earth right now. I was thinking about God's sovereignty. And I was trying to grasp it better. And I thought about how God had a plan for burning Sigma in this little town in Illinois called Moments. And then I thought 0.7 billion people live on that globe right now. And that's just right now. How many people lived in 1850? Or how many people lived in 945? Or how many people lived in 1546 when Columbus sailed the ocean? 1849, when is it? 1492, right? Listen. Sovereignty digs to the depth of every person lived on this globe. And oftentimes when I think of God's sovereign plan, I think about how it affects me. St. Charles, Missouri, 30 years old, in my little hemisphere, 0.7 billion right now. If that thought of the immense of God's power doesn't humble you, then my friends, we're really not understanding the definition of sovereignty. Put that up next slide. Define sovereignty. God has absolute rule over creation. He created it. Every piece of it. He sort of it as king. And listen to this. Is accomplishing his holy will for his glory. Everything on this globe is happening according to his will for his glory and namesake. That's sovereignty. And here you sit in peace. This very, very minute piece. Isaiah says that we're, but a, we're like a piece of dust on a scale. This minute piece. And here you sit in that sovereignty. Can we all just for a moment say, God's plan is much greater. The depths and the roots that it digs to. You know, on, on, a, on, a, on a serious note, the, um, Jared had started coming here and, and him and I were just starting to grow a relationship. And just speaking of sovereignty, um, the day that his, uh, I was uh, with some friends downtown. And, um, the day that his divorce was final, he walked out of the courthouse and, um, and there I was. And him and I connecting, and um, it was just like this moment of, of uh, all right, bro, like now we go. And um, I'm very grateful for God's grace on that couple. And it's a phenomenal uh, representation to us all of his purpose. I celebrate that, and I also say this before we get into First Peter. 
God's sovereignty doesn't always have a happy ending for you. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't always have a happy ending for you. In life or situations. But tonight's journey is to find rest and peace in the fact that the joy is his. The plan is his. Is his. So open your Bibles to First Peter. You'll get Peter is an apostle. He's writing at a very intense time in the Christian church. A time when the, the Christian church, marked by persecution in Asia Minor, many Christians are dying. Uh, he's writing to a, a troubled community. Are, are looking for answers. They're looking for hope. And Peter, this entire letter, continues to provide where their hope is found. And you remember two weeks ago, in the last gathering of 2009, we just thought nine, is that the way it worked? All right. We learned that Christ um, paid the ransom with his precious blood. And scripture says that, that he am representing this, uh, this finally, the, the perfect Passover lamb that was to be. And so through Christ's sacrifice, he paid our ransom. And then we get in First Peter. Here we go. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world that manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now, now you're starting to pick up on why the theme is sovereignty. The scripture opens with, he was foreknown. Well, the, the better way of even saying that word in the Greek is, a, is, is better like chosen or predestined. Always was. And, and it's connecting with the previous verses, listen, that is talking about the sacrifice of Christ. It's that Jesus, as a part of the Trinity, was foreknown. It was Jesus and the plan of redemption through as the spotless lamb to be slaughtered that was foreknown. That was part of the plan. That was predestined. That was under God. Now, listen. It's great for us to say, oh, all right, Christ was foreknown. Christ was foreknown. We know that he wasn't an afterthought. But it's better if we try to understand the implications of Jesus being foreknown. Are you with me? So I want to I look at three. There's, there's many. So what of Jesus being foreknown? The first one is this is that sin had to happen. If Christ, redemption to come through the precious blood of Jesus, was foreknown, then sin had to happen. Sin had to be a fruit, had to be eaten. Man had to fall. Depravity had to sink into all of us so that Christ's could be made manifest then in Christ. Many people struggle with this. We can talk about this in such a way that we make ourselves feel comfortable. Deep thought. But a beautiful thought. Listen, that God would allow the thing he hates to reveal how much he loves. That's the premise. That he would allow the thing he hates in sin so that he could reveal his love in Christ. And then you get the images of the globe and 6.7 billion. And you start in the depth of the sovereignty of God. Next implication. Every Old Testament scripture to Christ. If the Bible is all about the redemption of Jesus. 
and if Jesus was foreknown, and we'll call it eternity past, okay? From the foundation of the world, verse 20 says, we'll call it eternity past. That's a good theological term because the, the, God's time is eternity, so eternity past puts it here, all right? But if Jesus was foreknown, then, then this scripture is all God's story, redemption. That means that every Old, every Old Testament text... Even the ones that seem like too intricate Christ, there is the implications and the metaphors and the allegories and the foreshadowing and the prophecy of what uh, Abraham and Isaac. What happens? God says, I want you to take your son and I want you to go up under your son. I want you to put him on the altar and I want you to, to kill him and obey me. And, and Abraham takes his son up and lays him on the altar. And then God stops Abraham. And then what was in the bushes? Another sacrifice. And we could go all Testament. Some of the stories that Jeremy has already talked about. The story of Noah. David and Goliath. Uh, the story of so- all of these stories pointing to Jesus. And here's how. In Genesis chapter 50. You guys all remember named name uh, uh, Joseph, right? Amazing. All these brothers... They wronged him and Joseph goes through this crazy journey of like being blessed and then suffering, being blessed and then suffering. In Genesis chapter 50, all of his brothers are standing before them. And you know what Joseph says in Genesis 50? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. This crazy picture of grace. But as great as Joseph was, as heroic as David seemed... As brilliant at times as Moses, like as he leads the ones looking at Moses, as great as these biblical characters are, what they represent is that they are not. David could never be Jesus. Moses, though he represents this, this like freeing, leading these, he could never be Christ. Noah could never represent, Noah could never be Jesus. Joe, all, Christ is the better of all of them. And with our kids, sometimes we struggle, like raising these men as prominent figures. My challenge to you is we need to stop raising the prominence of men and start increasing of God so that even still we can see how we are called to point to Christ. So if Jesus was foreknown, every story, every text, and as many of you have the little baby Bible that we use, the kids Bible, it says every story whispers this. The final implication is this. And, and this is huge. If redemption through Christ, then all things must be foreknown by God. And herein lies the picture of sovereignty. If God's plan is to redeem his people through Christ, if the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless pastor, is the ultimate sacrifice, then everything is foreknown by God because it's all working towards that plan. So if Christ is foreknown, and if these implications are true, then the question, like, so what? Right? Like, all right, this, this is good, like doctrine. This is a good theological uh, explanation. But so what? 
it shows the ultimate nature of the power of the man of Christ. Look at in uh, the rest of verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made, what's the word? But was made manifest. This is amazing. In 1 John, one of the massive premises of John was that Christ became incarnated. So work with me. Jesus is foreknown, okay? And we see the, the Trinity all throughout the Old Testament. But there's one particular time in history he is made manifest or where he takes on flesh and blood. He comes to the earth to reveal who God is. And in his manifestation, in his incarnation, what Peter says, he comes for the sake of what? For the sake of what? Anyone? Come on. For the sake of hooked on phonics, right? Do we need to go back? Kindergarten hero? He, he came for the sake of you. Now, this gets confusing, doesn't it? If you're his readers, you're like, okay, for the sake of you. And many of you guys have heard my rhetoric on about the song of all towers, above all things. I forget that part, but work with me here. The chorus is, in thought of me. And so at, at this point, you could like, you could get that same sense. Jesus, who was foreknown, took on him, incarnated, was manifested in these times, Peter says, for the sake of you. Well, the, the Greek word is dia, and it means uh, for the reason of. The premise is Christ, in his manifestation, is going to redeem God's people, revealing the plan of God from the beginning, and you become a benefactor the sake of you simply because you become a benefactor of the inheritance. It ultimately about the glory of God because it's his plan and it's his will. The reality is take that, that word benefactor and we squash it and we squelch it and we take, and we don't realize the true power of it. That God would send his son in this great plan of redemption that the whole would point to. Sniper, wind, breeze, right? And then all of a sudden for his reader's sake and for all those after, we could be brought back to Christ. This is powerful, powerful stuff. So much so that he continues in verse 21. Who through our believers in God... Now, let me give you some context here. The whole premise of what? You obey, so you must believe. Or you sacrifice, so you must believe. Or you're a pious, so you must believe. Do you guys understand this verse? Who through him are believers in God. There is this drastic... Now it's not through pious living or through some mental and whatever. It's through Christ... Now believers believe. Now believers have faith. So the question is, well, well, how? How through Christ do believe? How does Christ give us faith? Three things. Firstly, is firstly a word? I'm not sure. Anyone? Is it a word? First, sure. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go with it. Firstly, Christ is the revelation of, of the nature of God. Hebrews says that he's the exact imprint of the nature of God. So when Christ is incarnated, 
He reveals who God is. Listen, listen, listen. This is crazy. When I was um, walking back from this walk on the frozen tundra lake, and this is kind of weird, but I started seeing images of the cross everywhere. And I know this sounds weird, but I like start walking back and I look up. Seriously, I see a cross constellation. Okay. Now, whatever. All right. I mean, you know, and then I look over and see the, like this electrical lines that had formed a cross. And I like, I was just seeing crosses everywhere. You know, I like look over and see snowmobile crosses. I mean, it was crazy. Like, listen to this. But then about halfway through my walk back, I just kneel down in the snow in uh, this cross in the snow. And I'm kind of chuckling to myself because I've seen all these things. And, you know, I'm like, I feel like, you know, a three-year-old, like drawing in the snow, like I'm writing my name. But then all of a sudden I had this profound picture of the depth of the love of God. That he revealed his nature in Christ. And if Christ, the revelation of the nature of God, then God got on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Then God spent with a widow listening. Then God performed miracles to reveal his power, compassion. I was thinking about the cross as I knelt down and I had the sense, it is the, the visualization of the nature of God then what a God. And this is how I get so excited and passionate about serving the true God and not some God that this earth has created is that every, in parentheses, just demands, demands, demands. And every other God is ultimately just about, it is about all of this lust after them. While God is a jealous God about his glory, grace, and mercy. So much so that he would plan this entire thing to be laid out so that he pull how loving he is. Look, I can't shock your heart and say, love Jesus more. But that image, come on. For some of you in here that are believers, that has to stir and the things of this world, the image of God on his knees, washing the feet of his disciples, has got this. But then the balance of that, as Scripture says in Revelation, now he's sitting on his throne, robe dipped in blood, and he's coming back, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth. He's a God of grace and mercy and a God to be feared. So the first thing that believers can believe in Christ, uh, believe in God through reveals the nature of God. The second thing, is that Christ's blood as the precious sacrificial lamb makes act possible. So the same God who reveals himself in Christ, this servant king, this same God through Christ, we have access to. We can be in relationship with. Is the message that I long for our city. This is the message that I long for those to hear in St. Charles who don't know Christ. Through the cross, through the Savior, you have access to a merciful, great God. And listen, that we cannot shrink from. 
That is a message, Christian, in this room that we must be emboldened by. We're fearful to talk about the blood because of the implications. We're maybe even sometimes ashamed to talk about the power of Christ. But a message of hope that comes through the access to God through Christ must continually be on our lips. And uh, just had this incredible uh, time of chatting. And uh, he's a new friend of mine here from the city. Uh, We've actually... uh, uh, we're doing, he's volunteering with We Love St. Charles, and um, we're just sitting, and um, we start talking about Christ, and, and uh, m- my new friend, he's, he's, um, doesn't have a great understanding of Jesus, and in that moment, as many times as I have shrunk, and as many times as, as I have failed to share I tell you what, in that moment, I got so encouraged in my own heart about Jesus that it had to just spill out. It had to be shared. And so I just unloaded the power. And and you're like, so what happened? Did like fireworks go off, you know? And like, you know, no. Like we talked and shared and we wrestled. And then earlier we texted back and forth. And I said, hey, dude, I'm, I'm praying for you, man. I love you, bro. Excited to serve you this weekend continually be on our lips because it is that great. It is that hopeful. This is what the early church got. They saw the empty. They were like, this is all we got. People are dying everywhere. The empty tomb of Christ, that's our hope. That's what we have. So we better just start sharing. But we just sit and we cower unempowered by the Spirit when this is one of the great benefits of knowing Jesus. The nature of Christ, the blood of Christ gives us access. And then lastly, we're made believers in God through Jesus. He becomes our mediator. He becomes the high priest. He becomes this priestly figure in our relationship with God that we plead. And as God answers prayers, it continues to stir in us a deeper trust and a deeper faith. Verse 21 says, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him what? Glory. Uh, the, the Greek word is doxa. Everyone say doxa with me. Yes, brilliant. Great job. Now, doxa has this image different from holiness. We defined holiness a few weeks ago. A glory is different than holiness. Glory is, it implies brightness. It implies majesty. It implies the kingship of a Messiah. God and glory. And there's biblical implications all over that he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father, I dipped in blood, waiting to come back. He raises him from the dead. Hey, it doesn't have to be East for us to talk about the resurrection. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. All right, all three of us, right? Easter Sunday is happening every day. It needs to be a celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And here at the end, look at this in verse 21. So that your faith and hope, God. Christ is foreknown. The plan of redemption is way through the scriptures. It's then revealed in Christ. So that we could believe in God. He raised the tomb. Seats him in the throne of glory. So that we could have faith. 
and hope in God. So I've been wrestling with all of this and trying to figure out the best way and encourage you with the way my heart's been challenged. And I think it's found in this question for all of you. What do you, what do you believe in? What do you believe in? This way. If I were to have a conversation with some of you, some of you are deep theologians, and I would say, hey, are you, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? You'd say, of course. Like, yeah, sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. You're a young reformer. You know, you're, you're, You've heard this catchphrase, sovereignty. Yeah, God. I firmly believe that your life is a true representation of whether or not in God's sovereignty, his rule over creation, his kingship, the fact that he's accomplishing his will by his power for his glory. Let me explain. For some of you, faith and trust is amazing when it comes to grace. If I were to ask you the, the time that you just, most of you is when, is when you're just, you're waiting, you're longing to be forgiven. You're sitting in shame and regret. And the time you trust the Bible the most, the scripture, is those when you're sitting there, hands in your hair, frustrated with life. And in that moment, your heart leaps, trusting and believing that his grace can take that away. And so then for many of us, the cycle is awesome. I'm freed from that. Know the feeling. There's a tremendous sense that comes with being freed from sin, isn't there? That moment when you feel forgiven, when you've repented of the sin that's like gripped you, you you ask God to forgive you and to heal you. Man, there's tremendous joy in that. And then you start reading your scripture, maybe. And you hear a distinct word calling, calling you to obey in a very specific way. And I'm not talking to Europe and being a missionary or headed to Antarctica to climb Mount Everest or whatever. Probably not Antarctica. I just took a guess. All right. And, and in, listen, and in that moment... Or, or, or listen, reading in the scriptures and you come to Romans 13 and the scripture says that the flesh is to have no, is, is to have no provision. You come to a path and your trust and your faith starts weaning. Your trust and your faith start diminishing. Read a passage like Romans 13 that says the flesh is to have no provision. And so you start doubting about whether or not you like this is even possible you get discouraged because of your lack of obedience no when you believe in the sovereignty of god when you are living in complete contentment and peace when you walk around this earth knowing that you are a sojourner Knowing this isn't your home comes, as Sarah put it, calamity or blessing. You rest in peace. And when God calls you to thirst and pray that he'll increase your faith, you don't sit and cower in lack of it. 
for men to have a conversation and I were to say, do you believe that God's plan is great and that he's working it out for his purpose? You would say, yeah, but your life would say different. Your life would say, I'm only satisfied when verse 20 would say something like, I came for the sake of me. The scripture doesn't say that. It says he was made manifest for the sake of you, not you made manifest for the sake of you. Look, I'd long to have the strength and the faith that Jared and Sarah portrayed. And trust me, they had their struggles and all that. I'm sure. But if we're to be a body that's a, that says God has a plan. That says no matter what the suffering thing, no matter what comes our way, we will trust and rest that God is working it out. It doesn't mean laziness. But pitfall and sovereignty, right? God's sovereign. I'm going to sit on the sofa. Right? Sovereignty implies desire to obey all that you are because I know that my entire life as a believer is to give you glory as you work out your plan and I can't wait to see it. Listen, as I left that lunch yesterday and I shared this with Jeremy and Chris earlier, I was just like, in this, I feel like I'm watching God's plan unfold. I feel like we have the chance to unfold in this city. I feel like you have a chance to watch God's plan unfold in your workplace and in your families and in your homes. Isn't that a tremendous blessing, church? You, because of the blood of Christ, have access to God and get to see the plan of God as you can see it a tiny bit from his perspective. So what do you believe in? What do you believe in? Do you believe his plan? Do you believe he's working it out? Or do you believe that this is about you for your sake? And you have a convenient faith. Those of you who have convenient faith to repent. Have faith when it seems to benefit you. I'm calling you to repent. I'm calling myself to get up and say, God, take the convenience out of me. Take the comfort out of me. Help us rest in Christ. And for others of you, maybe you have no relationship with Jesus at all. Maybe you're like, man, this, this story of God's sovereignty, you know what it means, which is fine. Can I just encourage you with something? If that's you in here, if you're like, I don't, I, don't, I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. There is only one living hope that you'll ever participate in, and that's relationship to God through the blood of Christ. In other words, Christ being foreknown dies on a cross. His blood covers our sins and makes relationship with God possible again, restoring it. If that's you tonight, after all this is said and done, I would just encourage you to talk to me or one of our life family leaders. Let's keep the con- but for all of us. It's time to not just say sovereignty of God to make ourselves feel better. It's time to say, God, help us rest. Help us have peace. And that you are working it out for you. And I get to watch it. Let's pray.
God, I... repentance uh, makes its way of the believers in this room. God, I pray that that each of us can understand the power of 